Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, young adults, elders, and adults in between, welcome to another episode of the I Got Sense Podcast. Y'all like that corn drop? Man, I like that corn. How you doing today, Shy? Man, I'm out here feeling great, Andre. I feel like I uh, lost 50 pounds and um, just woke up from running a marathon. I'm feeling light and fluffy today, man. I guess I'm in good holiday spirit. That's good. I love to hear that. I love to hear the health journey's going well. I know the financial yes, journey's sir. going well. So keep on working on them pillars. I myself am feeling pretty good, too. I'm all healed up from my Spartan race. So I got my legs back under me. Uh, business is going well. Hit a big milestone this year. Yes, sir. That sounds good. Excuse me. Hit a big milestone this year. Uh, we, hey, we hit the we hit that six figure mark, man. Yes, sir. The, oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yes, sir. So that means uh, you know tax season next year. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing to navigating that. That's gonna be a new experience. Um, but yeah, all is well. Uh, before we dive into today's episode, I did want to inform our audience of some changes going into the new year. You know, we wanna uh-huh. we wanna shine and I've been talking about how we can elevate you all's experience, and we know we've been somewhat a little inconsistent with the episodes going into the end of this year, but. Next year, we got a solid plan for you guys. So we're going to actually be releasing one episode a month. And that episode is going to be released every Friday, every second Friday of every month. So again, one episode a month on the second Friday of every month. And we have a lot of good interviews lined up for you guys. We'll be focusing heavily on some entrepreneurship things, uh, investment things, taxes, so... Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah we're excited yes. about that i'm definitely excited um yeah it, 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 life's just been busy i mean shoot i can't even lie <laughs> well yeah well Andre, you know life is busy and we uh we uh volunteer our time to do this here we don't really make any money off of it um but at the same time uh we've uh taken a look at all our uh, analytics and all the effort and stuff we put into it, and um, I think we had that we, we had that fork in the road now, where we have to start um, um, taking a look at um, the value of what we do, mm-hmm. and uh, just appreciate it. And um, you know, it goes back to that old saying where uh, people really don't have a whole lot of respect for things that come to them free, mm-hmm. and uh, we do so many things, and we give people access to us in so many different ways. And I still have people bombarding me and they want to have a sidebar so they can get, you know, in-depth uh, free financial um, advisement and they want me to do full uh, in-depth financial analysis. And, you know, these are the types of things that I would normally charge somebody um, anywhere from 1500 to $5,000 for. And people are t- still tending to come uh, you know, wanting to text me, wanting to DM me. They want to do anything and everything. But those are the very ones that um, we don't see um, tuning into the podcast. Uh, we don't see none of them subscribing to the Patreon page. And it's just really inconsistent. So we're just trying to regroup and uh, 
make it really value added. And uh, most importantly, we want people to appreciate all the time and effort that we put into this here because we're probably the only financial literacy podcast and platform out here that's not trying to sell anyone the master course for, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't set it any better myself. And, uh, you know, we guys are, we are always all about increasing and improving y'all's experience, man. So, Hey, 2023 is a, is a new year. I don't know why folks like to wait until the new year, but we just going to wait along with the new year too and, uh, bring a better, more extravagant experience to you guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. So we just going to clap that up. Clap that up. All right, let's dive into today's episode. The title of it is Financial Literacy and Wealth Building is a Way of Life. Yes, it is. What, we, you, uh, what you got to say we, about that, Shy? Well, Andre, 2022 has been a very trying year, not only for investors, but just in general for survival mode. Um, you know, we through the COVID pandemic that was uh, had us locked in for 2020, and then 2021 it still had us kind of handcuffed as we were trying to migrate back into normalcy. Uh, we kind of got back to our full um, routine work schedules at the beginning of 2022, but then that's when um, all the different things hit. You know, uh, Russia starting a war with Ukraine. Uh, causing the gas prices to go up, mm-hmm. uh, the taking a dip, um, the uh, federal government um, putting a halt to all the free money. And so now that we're back to normalcy, we've seen people uh, really uh, struggle with uh, um, keeping their head above water, sticking to a solid budget, and still being able to consistently invest. So 2022 has been a very trying time, and you know, of course, we, we have the uh, uh, housing market with all that inflation and the feds having had to come in and uh, increase uh, interest rates four times and they're planning on doing it another two times. So, you know, we got a big housing bubble. Uh, we got rent uh, overinflated. So 2022 has been a very trying time. And even with us in our uh, 10K challenge, uh, we've had quite a few people participate in that. And everybody is uh, seeing a little loss right now, but it's only temporary. And, and, and that's the real kind of thing that we've always taught here about building a financial foundation and uh, financial literacy um, being a way of life. Um, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And we just want to refocus on that today to kind of get people to understand this is not, uh, you know, a, a quick hit it and quit it type thing. This is really a, a mindset and a way of living. And so even though 2022 has been a trying year, um, we want everybody to keep at it, remain diligent and resilient, and just keep doing what you're doing because three to five years from now, you're going to look around and everything that you're doing, if you keep on eating the elephant one bite at a time, you're going to realize that uh, you don't eat the whole thing and you're going to start looking at all your investments, looking at your savings and emergency accounts, and uh, you're going to be uh, very well off, much more better than, uh, you know, everyone to your left and right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a part of that process is creating a plan, strategizing that plan and, and executing that plan. Would you agree with that? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Just like we've uh, kind of uh, got ingrained into our mindset now that hip hop is a way of life, mm-hmm. where we want to start to get uh, ingrained into you also and in your mindset that uh, financial literacy and wealth building is a way of life too. So these are uh, some things that should be subconscious to you that you're routinely doing without even thinking about it anymore. It's m- more so like it's going to transition over to muscle memory where you know you automatically need to move money over to your savings account. You know you need to put a little bit over here into your emergency fund until you get six to 12 months from that uh, take-home pay. Uh, you need to keep feeding money into your brokerage account so that when you do see a good deal out there in the stock market, you can go in and execute right away. Um, you know, staying ready means that you never have to get ready, and I think that's where most of our culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, 99% of us are still in the mode of, oh, it's an opportunity. I got to run out and get ready now. No, if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. And, and, and that's what the whole uh, uh, literacy and wealth building way of life is about. Always being prepared for when that moment comes in front of you, you can execute and do what you need to do to level up and get to that next level. Absolutely. Well, shoot, Shy, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. As far as financial literacy and wealth building goes, we're talking to adults out there. Now, most of these adults have kids. At what age is appropriate to start ingraining that whole idea of financial wealth building and financial literacy? Well, I think right around the age of uh, maybe seven, eight, mm-hmm. somewhere between seven to eight, nine, that's when I think um, young minds are uh, developed enough for them to comprehend value. So, you know, right now, the third grade, I think that's when you really should start um, ingraining this here uh, mindset into your children. You know, at the dinner table, um, you know, talk about, you know, the family expenses or give kids choices like, hey, I know you want this here toy, but if you get this here, then you're going to have to sacrifice this over here, this this thing over here that you want to do also. You can't have it all. And I think um, you know, starting right around third grade, that would be the time to really start incorporating that because I think that's that critical point where the kids can comprehend it. And if you start ingraining them in there um, at an early age, by the time they hit, you know, adolescence, uh, you know, they should be uh, running like a wheel or a machine. Just like they say about uh, everything else, um, you know, racism um, is taught. Um, financial literacy and wealth building can be talked to and ingrained until you start at a very early age. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't know about everybody out there, but I grew up playing video games and I started playing video games at a very young age and just learning how to play a video game within itself is pretty complex. So I would uh, argue that learning financial literacy and how to build wealth is not as complex as learning how to navigate a whole video game and learning the controllers. So for all the kids out there playing video games or all the parents allowing their kids to play video games, understand that your child is capable and it's up to you to, it's up to you to, you know, work with them and, and incorporate financial literacy into their, into their life, especially at a young age, like Shai saying. Absolutely. Andre, because in our culture, in our community, what's that one thing consistently that we started granting our kids at an early age, 
for most of the boys is sports. For most of the girls is beauty and entertainment. So the concept is there. We just have to also apply that to financial literacy and wealth building the way we do to sports and music and entertainment too. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, most conversations I have with fathers in the culture and I ask them about their, their kids, one of the topics they bring up is the fact that, oh, yeah, they're going to play sports and they're either going to play right. football or basketball. Very rarely do I hear a conversation of, oh, yeah, I'm going to work with them on their finances or I'm going to get them, uh, you know, groomed up in tech and put them loud and play the instrument or something. A lot of the times it's just sports driven. So maybe we got to sh- shift the the thought process on how we raise our kids. Don't just put them in sports. Sports is great. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of values and discipline that comes with playing a sport and confidence building that comes with playing a sport. But that's not the only intangible in life that you need. So keep that, uh, keep the development of your child well-rounded. Absolutely, uh, Andre. When you look at other cultures, as much as we don't like to admit that we stereotype, when you look at uh, uh, white culture and the young kids, um, they get their kids incorporated into businesses and ownership and legalities at an early age. They kind of indoctrinate them kids into that stuff. When you look at um, the Latino community, um, they get indoctrinated into entrepreneurship early on, you know, standing on the corner, selling things, um, setting up a taco stand, um, you know, walking through the communities with a cart, selling ice cream or maybe popsicles or something like that. Um, when you look at the Asian community, um, the Asian people start uh, indoctrinating technology into their kids um, as early as first and second grade because um, most uh, after-school programs that Asian kids participate in um, they get dropped off at a community center, but instead of uh, being inside and uh, dribbling a basketball or throwing a football, um, they're in there sitting down learning how to do computer programs and learn the technology that they need to build applications and things. So um, as much as uh, you know, we don't like to admit that from stereotypes, um, there is a lot of uh, indoctrination going in into mindset um, at a, a very early age, and I think the time now is right for us to uh, look towards financial literacy and wealth building and start indoctrinating that into our kids, just like we indoctrinate sports, uh, uh, arts, and entertainment, and performances and stuff. So let's talk about it. Let's take a deeper dive into how parents can implement these financial literacy methods. Do you have any ideas or any tips for parents, uh, ways that they can slowly start to get their child to understand the value of money, manage their own money, and potentially make their money make money for them? You know, the I got uh, sense way. <laughs> Andre, I have a whole dissertation on that. Thing. I can talk about this here for the next two years. But I think the most important thing we need to do with our kids starting right around third grade is um, uh, incorporating, giving them a weekly allowance mm. um, so that they can start to have access to money. Um, by, and, and by them having access to that money, now they get to make solid choices. And then that's the best way for them to learn the value of money by having choices and options. So let's say, for instance, third grader, you start giving them a weekly allowance of maybe $20. And of that $20, you say, hey, now you're responsible for 
getting your breakfast and lunch while you're in school every day with this $20. And anything else that you spend beyond that is going to be on you. So if you want to get an extra juice from the vending machine, if you want to buy candy bars or whatever, um, that's going to depend on how much money you have over left from, you know, paying for your breakfast and lunch. Mm -hmm. Now you can introduce that to them and let them experiment with that for maybe four or five weeks. And then you can circle back to them and say, okay, how's that going? Oh, you, so after you pay for your breakfast and lunch, you really only have $3. So that means you can get one or two juices or one or two snacks on the machine. Well, what about this here? Instead of you paying for your breakfast and lunch uh, every day at the school, why don't we uh, take a look at your allowance and then uh, we can take you to the grocery store and maybe you can buy uh, some instant packs of oatmeal or grits and then get a loaf of bread and some lunch meat. And then if you make your breakfast and lunch every day, now instead of you having $3 left over, now you magically have about 10 to $12 left over. And now you can get more things with that 10 to $12 than you could have when you were just going to school every day and paying for breakfast and lunch. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. What I'm hearing is uh, basically a tactic on how you can encourage your kids to budget their money. And if they yeah, budget absolutely. their money appropriately, then they can see, okay, I have X amount of money. The value of this item is Y. Now, if I spend all of this money on that object, I might not get the other object that I want or the other lunch item that I want or the other snack that I want. So how can I stretch my money? So now it probably gets their wheels turned on how they could potentially make more money. Maybe they go to mom and dad and be like, hey, can I do some more chores for, you know, five more dollars? So now it's not only budgeting money and understanding the value of money and, and, and value of things, but there's a little negotiation that might sprout about from that yeah absolutely you you still have to have uh routine discussions with your kids not only about what they're doing with their allowance money and how they're making adjustments to have more discretionary money out of that um but also about the various choices that are out there and then that's when you start incorporating the concept of saving mm -hmm. hey every time you get some money in your hand whether it's your allowance or whether you did some chores for me or whether you went down the street and raked the yard for the neighbor or whatever, every time you get some money in, there's this uh, principle called paying yourself first. So now let's start taking 10% of everything you get and stashing away over in your piggy bank. So you can, you can, you can definitely use this here concept to build upon. These are building blocks. And then, you know, as you get through that first year, um, you know, and having those discussions, you're going to have a, a young mind that has a year of experience of dealing with a $20 allowance every week and understanding how I need to manage this money to get more bang for my buck. And if they do well enough with it, as they go into the next grade, hey, you say, hey, now you, you, you moved on to the fourth grade, so now uh, we're going to increase your allowance by $5 now. Um, so what type of adjustments are you going to make now with this here? And continue to adjust their allowance uh, every uh, every uh, single year, um, I'd say all the way up to maybe the fifth or sixth grade. Because once they get to the sixth grade, it's going to be time to start 
um, indoctrinating them and introducing them to our banking systems. Mm. I like this. I like where this is going. It sounds like uh, around sixth grade, you can start educating your child on the financial foundation. Now that they've yeah, absolutely, absolutely, now, now and then indoctrinated and learn about savings accounts and checkings accounts. Yes, and then they should be then able to go over to that piggy bank where they were saving ten percent over the last three years and say, "Hey, wow, I got forty dollars saved up." So when I do go down here to open up my first check in a savings account, uh, I got my money that I used to keep in a piggy bank. Now I'm going to put that into the savings account. And now I understand that uh, when I'm going into it, yeah, I'm going to get a debit card and my allowance now is not going to be put in my hand. You all are going to just deposit into my checking account. And then once I um, access my checking account, on the first of the month or whatever day you pick to give them their allowance. Now the first thing you do when your allowance comes in is you go into that account and you move 10% of that allowance over to your savings account. You you see how, you see how that's working, Andre? I see it. And I know a few of our listeners are probably like $40. It costs about 40 to $50 just to open the account. Hey, this is a good opportunity to educate your kids on the cost of things again. If it costs $50 and they have a checking and savings account, it's an opportunity to educate them on, hey, you only have 40, 50 bucks. If you don't make more money, this account gets closed. Or if you make enough money, you get to use this account for free. Absolutely. Let's brainstorm. Absolutely. How can we, how can we uh, get you to make more money in the sixth grade? Or Yeah, and of course, for all our listeners out there, Andre, we do all understand that. Uh, when you do open your kids up, a minor's checking and savings account, it has to be up under uh, an account that's already established that, uh, by the parent or the guardian. Right. Anyway, so, um, you know, you have to, like you said, continue to uh, educate financially about, hey, well, you need a minimum amount of this here to open up a checking account, or they have several different options right here. And, in order for you to open up a checking account, you have to have at least $50 to open up a savings account first. And then once you do that, you have a minimum balance that you have to keep in the checking account at all times. So it's a great opportunity not only to uh, continue to indoctrinate your kids and provide them a financial education about how the banking system works, um, it also gives you an opportunity to teach them about financial products and being, being more responsible and accountable when they don't use those products uh, the correct way. Products, 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 purchasing products. Yeah. What about when a kid <laughs> is in, what about it when a kid is in high school? Cause you know, that's when the product purchases increase. <laughs> that's when oh, they well, want to yeah. get the freshest oh. fit. They want to get the freshest shoes. They want to impress some girls at school or maybe some boys if they're a girl. So yeah, absolutely. let's talk about but, but it. Hopefully- and Andre, there's no way to slow that down. Uh, you know, some kids have different mindsets, but for the most part, uh, when you get to, you know, that eighth, ninth grade area, it is all about the name brands and the style and the fashion. And you want to be, you want to uh, be accepted by your peers and fit in. But this is, this is one of those critical uh, crossroads. And you, you oftentimes can see this right at the eighth, in ninth grade, you're going to see the kids that uh, think it's way more important to have the Jordans and the gold chain and the earring in their ear. And then it's going to be some kids that 
have three pair of jeans and five shirts, and that's what they wear all year long. But uh, they got their money getting stacked up over there, and those are usually the ones that pop up on campus in the 10th grade with that first car. Mm. While the ones with the Jordan and the gold chain, they still in the back of the bus cutting jokes and throwing paper balls. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, shoot, do you have any other advice for, for, for parents, whether it's uh, helping their kids get started with financial literacy early on in life, like the third grade, maybe midway in their adolescence, like middle school? Well, absolutely. School? So we've already talked about introducing them uh, with a weekly allowance, um, giving them increases as each year go by so that uh, they progress uh, with the inflation and the cost of things. Um uh, educating them about financial products, eventually getting them uh, introduced to the uh, banking system and all the products that the banks offer. Um, but also one of the uh, critical things that parents um, should do, and I wish more of our parents in our culture did this here, is to start mitigating the importance of not getting caught up in materialistic stuff. So, these are some simple rules that I've always practiced myself and I hound um, young people about it, whether their parents like it or not. But uh, it's uh, three things, Andre. Uh, shoe purchases. Never spend more than $100 on a pair of shoes under no circumstance. And this is as a parent. You tell your kids, if you want to buy some shoes that cost more than $100, use your allowance and save up, and when you get enough money, you can go out and do that with your hard-earned money. But as far as me providing you uh, clothing and uh, everything that I need to do as your parent, I'm never going to spend more than $100 on a pair of shoes for you. I think that's reasonable. If some parents will be that's out there listening right now, rolling their eyes, talking about, well, you know, a good pair of Jordans costs $180, and these kids have to have. No, these kids don't have to have all those stylish shoes. Stick to a limit, and you indoctrinate your kid early on that expensive shoes are not important. And I cannot emphasize this enough, and it kind of makes me irritated every time I talk about it, Andre, because oftentimes you see kids that are in a stroller that can't even uh, uh, walk yet. They're not even out of diapers yet, but they got on Nikes and name brand this and the whole outfit. And I think it's just ridiculous. And I think you're already setting your kid up for failure when you start um, in, you know, introducing them to materialistic name brand status stuff early on like that. So definitely you can help your kids out a whole lot by um, raising them and bringing them through their adolescence by never, ever spending more than $100 on tennis shoes for them. The next thing is when their birthday comes around, yeah, we like to celebrate birthdays, but, you know, this uh, whole thing about spending 2500 or thousands and thousands of dollars every year to celebrate a kid's birthday, I think is absolutely positively stupid. I think that for birthday celebrations, you can have your uh, kids invite a few friends over, get uh, 12 or 24 cupcakes and a bucket of ice cream, but don't spend no more than $200 celebrate these kids' birthday because once you start them out and you make birthday celebrations be a big thing, every year that goes by, now you got to one-up 
and do better than the last year. And before you know it, by the kid, by the time the kid is fifteen, you out here spending three, four, five thousand dollars on birthday presents and stuff. They, I think it's absolutely positively ridiculous. Um, a third thing um, that I think parents can really, really help their kids out with is go back to what I said a little bit earlier about the kids that get to the fork in the road and they choose to go with three pair of jeans and five shirts. When you get your kids school clothes, get them five to eight shirts, get them five pair of pants, um, get them a jacket and get them their basic, the tennis shoes, the socks, the underwear, and leave it at that. And maybe when wintertime comes around, maybe you got to get them a heavier coat because they've outgrown the coat. Um, but, you know, this year uh, I need $4,000 uh, to get my school clothes together because you, you, you've been indoctrinated to think that you're going to a damn fashion show every day instead of going to get an education. I think we really, really do a big disservice to our kids. So those are three things that I think parents can do in addition to giving their kids allowance and uh, indoctrinating them and introducing them to banking products, you can also help them a whole lot by putting a limit on uh, how much you spend on shoes, how much you spend on their birthday celebration, and how much you uh, fork out for their school clothes for any given school year. Hey, I think you hit the nail right on the coffin. I couldn't uh, couldn't have said it better myself. I agree. And you think we making people mad out there, Andre? Because I've been cussed out quite a bit about them damn tennis shoes. These pants get hot when you tell them don't buy their kids them Jordans. Look, they get. Hot. That sounds like if they getting hot, then they got some internal things they got to deal with because they basically associating their kids' shoes with the value that they that they bring as a, as a person. And unfortunately for them, they'll quickly realize that they're just, or maybe they won't, but I'm going to just tell it to you like this. If you buying your kids J's and you feel as though they can't wear a sneaker that's less than, or if they have to have all the new J's, then you need to reevaluate your own um, approach to life, how you, how you value yourself as a human being. Cause the clothes you wear, don't say anything about what you bring in terms of value. <laughs> absolutely absolutely not at all Andre. but I've heard parents give me several different variations and the biggest excuse parents make for justifying buying J's and um, all this name brand stuff is well if I don't um, that the, the, the kids pick on him in school and you know they give him a hard time and he end up getting in fights and stuff so you have to buy your kids this here type of stuff to keep up with everybody else Oh, that's a key word. That's a key word you just said. Keep up with everybody else. Why are you yeah. in the business of keeping up with everybody else? Why don't you Isn't sit there? And edu- why don't you sit there and educate your kid? Why don't you talk to him? Give him ways. Give him. Give him. Equip him with. Equip him or her with things to say. Should somebody talk about their shoes? Equip them with Absolutely. the personal value, so that way they know their self worth outside of the clothes they wear. Because you're just yeah, building a big insecure individual. Because they yeah, think, it, at the end of the day, if I don't have these shoes, people don't appreciate me. My, I'm worthless. But if I have these shoes, right. I attract people. And the people you attract with right. their shoes, nine times out of ten, a bunch of fakes anyway. Yeah, and Andre, it goes back to what I said about, you know, the kids in the stroller that can't even, uh, they're not even potty trained yet, don't even know how to walk yet. But when the parents start them off with the whole uh, uh, Nike uh 
you know, a Nautica outfit, and they got on the fresh J's and everything. And by the time they get the pre-K, uh, now you're spending more on their wardrobe than you're spending on your own wardrobe, and it just snowballs out of control. So by the time the kid gets to middle school, and they do have their peers that they're dealing with every day. Um, everybody feels like I should be on this level when it comes to my wardrobe. But that's something that is indoctrinated in our kids, in our communities, and in our culture, and I think is very, very foolish. Very few of us do, as you say, where you start at an early age and give your, two, your kids the tools and the resources of how to deal with kids that are saying, hey, you're not good enough or we're laughing at you because you don't have on expensive designer shoes like we do. I think it's crazy, but that's what we indoctrinate our kids to believe that we have to be, uh, we have to outdress each other, just being a competition um, from the time we can uh, look up and say uh, mama or papa all the way until we become an adult. We're caught up in what we're wearing to uh, uh, determine uh, what our value and worth is to everyone else around us. And I think that's the most ignorant thing in our culture today. I think that's the number one downfall for our young folks. Yeah. Their fashion. I agree. Say that again. I was just saying, I agree. Uh, it's sad. <laughs> it's sad. And, and yeah. these, these, these individuals grow up and they end up being the most insecure. They end up finding other yeah. people who are insecure. And then you got a group of people who value the wrong things in life, but they will never realize yeah. it because you're just around like-minded people. You never grow that way. Yeah. You never achieve your goals that way. I, uh, Andre, I was able to see it early on when uh, I was in, um, uh, even in, uh, I'd say by the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to see it early on because I was integrated. I was one of the first groups of kids integrated into white schools. And so I was bused 26 miles across the bridge um, over to Mayor Rose Elementary School. But I could see early on, even in that, we were getting bussed over there. It was about 20 of us, 20 to 25 of us getting bussed over to Melrose Elementary School. But the 25 of us, we looked like we were headed to a fashion show every day. And the white kids came to school in like plain Jane, you know, Wranglers and a dingy shirt. Right. Um, um, and you can see it right away. Um, and uh, those kids over at, uh, over that bridge, they didn't put any emphasis on what they were wearing or who looked the best or, or nobody was popular because they had on a nice, fresh outfit. And then one of the main reasons that I was uh, able to notice that right away was because uh, uh, one of the kids that uh, a guy named uh, Larry Hemmings, I believe, he, uh, he pointed out to me that within one school year, I think in the fourth grade, that I came to school um, with uh, – brand new shoes four different times within that school year. And he literally said, wow, you must be rich. Why do you keep getting new shoes? Hmm. That was one of the first times that came to my attention. That's a trip, ain't it? Yeah, it's a trip, man. And then, you know, you see it as you get into high school and even on the college campus at University of Texas. Hey, I can uh, speak, speak to the college experience. I fell victim, victim to it buying shoes i used to work in a kiosk at t-mobile in the cerritos mall and uh foot action was right across from me guess who yeah. Foot Locker, and guess who was there every saturday morning when some jays came out yeah and it got to a point where i was like 
fortunately, I didn't buy things to impress people. I bought things because I liked them. But mm -hmm. I quickly realized, like, yo, this is a waste of my money. Fortunately, yeah. too, yeah. a lot of those shoes that I did purchase did increase in value. So I was like, oh, I mean, those uh, not-so-wise decisions over the years actually benefited me down the line should I decide to sell these shoes. But most of the shoes that I purchased in my lifetime, I've given away. Most of the clothes that I purchased, I've given away. And it's not because um, I, I, I never went in it with the intent of these these have value to these basically show or or are an indication of my self-worth what i did was i bought them because i liked them and because they didn't have any ties to my self-worth when it came to getting rid of them i have no ties to these things there's people that yeah. look at me and be like yo you threw those shoes away or yo you gave that away yeah because i believe in i have way more self-worth than the items or the articles of clothing that i wear and i don't get me wrong there is a such thing as personal branding and how you dress yourself. Obviously, you should you should dress uh, uh you should dress according to whatever your brand is. So you know me being someone, I'm technically a video consultant, and I like to dress yeah. comfortably. But a part of dressing comfortably doesn't mean that I need to be wearing J's. It, it doesn't mean that I need to be wearing Nikes. It just means that I need to be wearing something that I feel comfortable in that's presentable. And for those of you out there who are in high school listening to this podcast or if you're parents of a high school and you're listening to this podcast i highly encourage you to stop adding fuel to the fire by building your child's insecurities because you're trying to cater to the needs of the people that they're around their their friends yeah. or their peers are making fun of them like that's the stupidest yeah, the thing ever i'm sorry that's like <laughs> i want parents yeah, to reach out to me and talk to me about this because yo I don't have kids, but I was a child. I was in high school, and I remember people that would try to bag on me for the clothes that I had, and I would laugh at them. I would laugh at them because those are the same kids that, unfortunately, like you know, they they don't come from. See, when when you, when you come from an environment where your self worth isn't tied to the things that you have or the things that you wear, you start to see life differently. You start to see through the BS. You start to see, oh well, I mean. Hey, y'all probably them probably the only shoes you really gonna ever have in your life unless you change some things in your life. Like, right, exactly. So. And it, it it became very clear to me on a college campus, Andre, because at the University of Texas, um, I could look around and see everybody who was black and Latino. We were always dressed fresh and ready to impress everybody around us. But we were all uh, on the bus or carpooling, bumming a ride here and there. And then you see um, the other cultures of people, the uh, whites, um, the Asians, the Middle Eastern. They, 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 they had on the same old T-shirt, uh, jeans with holes in them, and not the, not the kind of jeans that you buy that already got the holes in it, holes in them because they warm that long. Yeah. Um, didn't look like they were uh, dressed to go anywhere important, but those kids already had their own cars. Those kids already had, uh, you know, own homes, or they had uh, was already participating in the family business. They had a whole lot of meaningful things that truly add value and build wealth than any of us folks on those campuses um, at University of Texas when I was there. But, boy, uh, you're talking about dress. Uh, we had on the latest this and that. We had on the nicest this and that. 
we had on every designer thing. Them white folks didn't care nothing about that stuff at all. They pulled up in their convertible cars and parked and walked over into the classroom and got their education and then left and went back to a much nicer community and neighborhood than we could even imagine. Um, but they did not put a, any emphasis at all on fashion. And I'm, and, and I'm not uh, harping on this here to say that, uh, um, that they are uh, stupid or that we are stupid. I'm just saying the mindset between different cultures and different races. We put all our time, effort, and energy in materialistic name-brand clothes when half the time we couldn't even have a steady, consistent ride to even get to the campus. And, and it was the opposite of other cultures of people. And don't get me wrong. I'm not – we're not sitting up here saying buying luxury things is a bad thing. It's the intention behind it. It's the mindset behind buying these things. Don't buy right. these things because you think it's going to attract girls or guys. Right. Don't buy these things because you think people are going to respect you. You know, it's funny exactly. because uh, although I was one to buy Jordans in, in college, I was also one that didn't buy designer clothes. So I would throw on a white t-shirt, some nice jeans, and they'd be all my entire fit. The most expensive thing probably be his shoes. So in total, I probably yeah. am wearing about a hundred and to two hundred dollars worth of clothes, and really a hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy-five is the shoes. Or yeah, sometimes absolutely. I have on some Vans. Literally, my entire outfit's probably less than hundred bucks. And then somebody next to me got on the newest Jays, and mm -hmm. and expecting women to respect them. And unfortunately yeah. for that person, they ain't really respect them. They wasn't tripping yeah. off the shoes that they had. It's the person behind it. It's the confidence you have in yourself. Yes, sir. The, the the clothes, all that designer stuff, it means absolutely nothing if to fit. people that are about something. And, and it's funny. I had a conversation with a buddy of mine recently, and we were diving into it because he's one that's like, he's like, I like to, I'm flashy. And I'm like, why? I just kept asking why. And a lot of it came down to him wanting people to perceive him a certain way. And I'm like, but you don't need to wear these things for people to perceive you as as a king as someone who's respected it's about how you carry yourself it's about what you say when you open your mouth it's not about the jewelry you wear it's not about the logo on your shirt your shoes your pants it's not about how yeah. much your 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 clothes cost the car you drive it's and about how you I, carry I, yourself yeah and i think what helped me what helped me overcome the desire, the, the want to uh, dress and press was the fact that I was integrated into um, white schools early on. And I found out real quick that people were drawn to me and they were attracted to me, not because of my clothes, but because of my intellect. Yeah. Um, I was always very smart in math. Um, I think I won the second a spelling bee ever at Melrose Elementary School. And so it was my intellect. And as I moved on through grade school and into uh, middle school and high school, it was always, oh, he's very smart in math. So ask Sean, he knows. That's where I got all my clout and shine from, from being smart with my school books and everything. And even in college, that's where I got most of my accolades from because I was able to come in as a freshman and start grabbing the concept of accounting and auditing and how all of that works and how it ties back to law 
um, I was able to comprehend that and crank out consistent A's throughout my entire college education. And that's what made me um, very attractive to all different cultures of people. And so because I had that type of experience from the second grade all the way through um, graduating from uh, grad school, I never, ever uh, leaned towards uh, materialistic stuff. And I think I'm very fortunate and blessed to have had that type of journey uh, because I've never been the one. You've never seen me wear a gold chain. I've never uh, purchased or wore a pair of Jordans. I frown upon uh, name brand stuff. I just like get decent quality stuff, but I don't need a Mercedes. I've never had a Mercedes Benz, the most fancy car I've ever had is my wife's hand-me-down Lexus that was 10 years old with 140,000 miles on it. Other than that, I've always driven a, a pickup truck and um, wore, um, you know, $20 worth of clothes anywhere I went unless I had to put on a suit and tie and go to work in a professional environment. So I think I'm very blessed, and uh, uh, that's why I've never uh, gone down that path. But I think it's very foolish to put a lot of money into materialistic designer clothes and shoes just because you feel you need to shine in front of other people with what you have on. Yes, they, we call that wearing your money. I think that's very foolish. So um, I, I, I really want to see our culture shift away from that mindset and understand that there's absolutely zero value, or if there's any value in it, it's very short-term when you run out being caught up in name brand and designer stuff. You don't need it. You know what, Shy? And this is the last thing I want to say on this topic. I think this is this will really nail the point home. If you invest in quality and not quantity, not the number of things you have or the price of things you have, but the quality, and not even just when it comes to things, but the people in your life. Right. If you focus on quality versus quantity, your entire life will improve. And sometimes quality costs more than something else when it comes to things. But that's not Mm -hmm. always the case. So make sure your intentions are rooted in a good reason for why you're going to buy these things if you're buying them. But if you're buying these things because they validate who you are as a person or if they you feel as though it validates your self-worth, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. So yeah, bring it back bring it back to the kids. You just indoctrinating them with that belief system. I agree with you hundred percent, Andre. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I think I think we kinda um really uh covered this here in totality tenfold with uh mindset and uh 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 getting back to teaching our kids financial literacy and wealth building and making that a way of life. So that when you get to these different um, levels throughout your adolescence and going into being a young adult, you haven't subscribed and indoctrinated yourself into just being someone who's materialistic and spending your money on a lot of things that's not going to hold any value. Absolutely. So, so now what I what I wanted to share. So I, I think we've talked about uh, you know indoctrinating our kids from the time. Um, when they're around uh, maybe seven or eight, going to the third grade, um, and start indoctrinating uh, uh, money and concepts of wealth building um, into their lives, um, and then kind of graduating it step by step 
by looking at different ways to uh, spend your money to get more bang for your buck on the back end. Um, we've taken a look at, uh, you know, uh, bank products and getting your kids introduced into the banking system. And then also um, how to mitigate um, your kids getting caught up into a materialistic um, outlook on the world by not um, spending these exorbitant amounts of money uh, on shoe purchases and celebrating birthdays and just buying clothes in general. So I want to share with uh, the audience today of uh, what I did uh, with my kids uh, once they got to ninth grade. I have three kids, and um, I pretty much did the same thing. Uh, two of my kids, uh, one uh, is uh, turning 24 in a few months, and one just turned 25 last week. Um, these numbers are uh, a little bit more applicable to them. Uh, my oldest daughter, Sasha, she's uh, eight years older than um, Eliza and 10 years older than Savon. Her numbers back during the time when she was in high school were a little lower. But these are the numbers that um, I use for my kids, each and every one of them. So everything we talked about today, I got them indoctrinated into getting an allowance as early as third grade. Um, they all had uh, their own checking and savings account and debit card by the time they got to the sixth grade. Um, every year, as long as they continue to do good, I increase their allowances. So by the time they got to high school, um, in the ninth grade, their allowance was $200. Uh, in the 10th grade, I bumped them up to $225. In the 11th grade, I bumped them up to $250. And by the time they got to the 12th grade, I bumped them all the way up to $400. Um, another thing I did once they got to the 11th grade was I uh, um, set them up their own brokerage account. Um, now, they were still minors, so they were up under me. I, I was a uh, guardian that had to set it up, and it was up under me. But I allowed them to go in and manage them, that, manage them themselves. But... Um, uh, once they open up that brokerage account, I showed them how, okay, we're going to go in here and we're going to automatically set up for $25 of your allowance to come out of your account on the 15th of every month without you even thinking about it and going straight over to your brokerage account. And as you accumulate $100 in your cash line in your brokerage account, we're going to go in and take a look to see can we buy one or two stocks. So I did that with each and every one of my three kids in 11th grade. Like I said, by the time they got to 12th grade, they were getting $400 uh, uh, a month for allowance. Now, um, I had an agreement with all my kids also that if they uh, earned a full scholarship, all the money that I was saving towards their college, I would take $10,000 out of that account and I would put an extra $1,000 in their checking account, the, the minute I found out that they got a full scholarship and the ink dried, hey, I'm putting $1,000 into your checking account. And on your graduation, you can take that $1,000 and go do what you want. Um, now, the other $9,000, I'm going to take that and put over uh, into your uh, savings account. I'm going to put 4000 of that in there. And then $5,000, i am going to put into your brokerage account. And then from there, we're going to pick some stocks that um, you think are good and that I agree with. And so the day you graduate from college, not only are you going to have $1,000 in your pockets to go uh, uh, spend, 
you're going to have an extra 4000 added on to whatever you've already saved up. You're going to have $5,000 on your cash line and your brokerage account. So I'm sending you off to college um, that way. And then once you get to college and get established and we take a look at your first uh, semester of college, if you still have, if you have a 2.5 GPA or higher, then we'll start talking about getting you a car uh, so that you can drive that car for the next four years in college. So that's the approach that I took with my kids from the time they got to the ninth grade until graduation and going off to college. And fortunately, all three of my kids got full scholarships. So I did this here for all three of them. And from that point, that's when I transitioned to helping them, uh, you know, build their financial foundation. And we talked about financial foundations uh, for um, the last two years, Andre. Um, but it's very important that you include your kids in that process um, of building that foundation. You know, hey, your job now is uh, college and maintaining a 2.5. Um, since you're working in college and you're on full scholarship, you can't get a secondary job. So I'll continue to give you an allowance while you're in college and in your freshman year, I'm going to give you $500. Um, in your sophomore year, I'm going to bump that up to 600 Your junior year, I'm going to bump that up to 700 And by the time you get ready to graduate, your senior year, I'm probably going to get you up to $1,000. Now, I was in a position to do that because all three of my kids got full scholarships, so I've never paid any tuition or paid for any books. So I've had all that money that was going towards their college that I was saving from the time they were born, I had those funds available to be able to provide them those levels of allowance throughout their college years. And uh, Savon and Eliza, they're still in grad school right now. And, um, you know, me and the wife, we've decided that because they're doing good, they've never been in any trouble, no kids, we're going to continue to uh, give each one of them $1,200 a month for allowance until they finish up grad school. And, you know, the most important thing that I taught my kids about um, their mindset and uh, having a financial education is that under no circumstances are any of you all allowed to have a baby until you're between the ages of 28 and 32. So that means that you fully uh, graduated from college. You started off on your career. I probably already helped you get your own first home, and now you're in a committed relationship. So that's the time for you to go out and start building your own family. If you do anything before that, then everything that we have in place now as far as alliance and me supporting you, I'm going to have to cut you off at the knees because once you have a baby, you out there doing grown folk stuff, um, then I can't help you anymore. I got to let you go be grown on your own. So um, I, I just wanted to share that with everyone. And, and, and I have had to be an asshole. Um, to my kids in order to implement this and stick to it. Um, but I'm very proud to say, Andre, that uh, my three kids are doing great. Um, and my only regret right now is that uh, Sasha turns 34 next year and uh, Savon and Eliza, they're uh, 25 and 23. Uh, I'm turning 55 next year. I'm ready for some grandkids, but because of the foundation I've set, I'm probably two or three years away from doing that. But that's the only regret that I have now um, getting to my mid-50s is I don't have any grandkids yet. But every child you have, it's going to cost you two hundred eighty dollars to $320,000 to raise that kid. There's no way you can do that 
um, and get yourself on the path of where you want to be in your life um, on a, a sensible time schedule if you start having unplanned children because it's going to zap everything that you've put in place as far as your finances and raising that kid. Because once you have a kid, everything that's your goal and your future, you have to put that on hold and dedicate um, 18 years of getting that kid uh, up and on their own feet so they can start off life. So um, we talked about uh, financial literacy and uh, wealth building as a mindset. It starts early on, and it goes all the way through your mid-20s, Andre. And um, I don't know any other way to say it. And I know a lot of other people, you've had different circumstances, and you are not um, in touch with, um, these numbers that I'm talking about, about giving your kids a last. And if these numbers I'm talking about seem uh, unrealistic, um, you don't necessarily have to do these numbers. Do something, though. The concept and the goal is to get your kids indoctrinated and comfortable with talking about money and understanding that if they use money as a tool and make good decisions um, with what they do with the money, then they can put themselves in a much better position than if they're just out there getting every dollar they can to go out and spend it on materialistic stuff that carries no value. So I'll go ahead and get off my soapbox here. <laughs> nah, I mean, hey, you covered it. I don't even have to echo anything you said because I agree. And uh, for the parents out there who are actually implementing these strategies, I'm pretty sure that they would agree as well. For those that are out there feeling hot and bothered, or more so upset and bothered, um, hey, maybe you want to do some reflecting and, and apply some of these methods. Give it 90 days. See if you see any improvements. Guarantee you will. Andre, I was born to a mother who was a drug addict. She had me when she was 15 years old. I grew up in the porch, por uh, the, uh, the uh, Brentwood Project in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, 